In times of drought comes tough decisions and higher hay prices. Or to feed a cow through a drought, and the unfortunate thing about that is prices drop to the point where you, you kind of scratch your head and you kind of wonder what the solution is. Dr. Steve Paisley, beef extension specialist from the University of Wyoming, joins me as we talk about feeding alternatives and adaptations we can make in our ranching operations to manage a drought. Plus, a special segment with the captain on agriculture land bid manipulating on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you again for joining us here today, as you'll find us right here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM, each Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, or if you like and you want to catch the show a couple days earlier, you can also catch it through any of the podcast venues that are out there, as we are on that as well. If you search in your podcast provider under Working Ranch Radio Show, you'll find us there. Well, again, I want to welcome you to our show here today, a full lineup, kind of a little bit different because we're going to cover a couple different subjects here today. Our main featured subject is going to be with Dr. Steve Paisley out of the University of Wyoming with these higher hay prices. And I know for myself as a rancher here in Northeast Wyoming, kind of looking at ways that uh, how can we get around some of these higher hay prices Uh, I know with kind of going into a two-year drought we're also looking at not having as much grass surplus or supply for winter grazing as maybe we had a year ago at this time so what are ways that we can kind of look at some alternatives out there in considerations of these high hay prices and how do we manage through this drought so that's going to be our featured topic here today with Dr. Steve Paisley also the captain in addition to his two cents that we'll hear in just a moment he's going to join us for one segment as we talk about something that's been brought to his attention in regards to bid manipulation on agriculture land something to be aware of with that so uh, looking forward to having the captain on for a little bit than normal that we would normally have here in our program also in just a moment we will be having a feature on a breed spotlight for this episode as well Well, and here's a hint. I'm not going to tell you what the breed is going to be until we get to that point. But here's a hint. This breed originated in Germany. We'll get to that in just a moment. And finally, in our last segment, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us with a look at our long-term weather. And we're going to get all the way pretty much around the country, look at the different areas of the country. Some good news for some, some bad news for others. But again, wouldn't that be about any weather report? But anyway, stay with us in our last segment, meteorologist. Don Day will be joining us for our long-term weather. Well, before we get too far, a thank you going out to our sponsors that make the Working Ranch Radio Show a reality. We'd like to thank the American Simmental Association. You know, they're helping ranchers move their operations forward. They've got pedigree knowledge with actual performance records and now very advanced genomics, providing more predictability to you, the rancher, so that you can make good management decisions that increase profitability back to your pocket. Sim Genetics profit through science find out more at simmental.org performance beef easy to use cattle management software find performance beef online to request a demo also beef master nothing beats 
a Beefmaster. Find out more at beefmasters.org. Also, the Working Ranch Expo. It's new this year. Going to be held December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. In fact, I was talking to the captain about it uh, just the other day, and things are coming along. In fact, I'll probably have uh, the captain join us here in the next coming month or so to give us a little bit more of an in-depth look at what the Working Ranch Expo is going to look like this year. It's for, it's new for everyone uh, at Working Ranch Magazine and Working Ranch Radio Show. We all are looking forward to being in Vegas. Hope you will join us. It's going to be easy to find if you can get to Cowboy Christmas. You can get to the Working Ranch Expo to find out more or to reserve a booth. If you're a business and you want a good spot to be in Vegas, join us at the Working Ranch Expo. Here's the website, workingranchexpo.com. You can find out more information. And our final sponsor on today's program is Gelvy Balancer, which brings us to this episode's edition of our Breed Spotlight. And joining me now is Mr. Tom Strom, who is the Commercial Marketing Director for the American Gelvy Association. And Tom, thanks for joining us here today. Today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Good morning, Justin, and thanks for having us on here. It's a privilege and a pleasure to visit with you. I know for me, it'd be interesting to know a little bit more of the history about the association, the Galvey breed. And I know this year, specifically, you guys are celebrating 50 years for the association. So give us some history about the breed and the association. Sure. Uh, Galvey cattle were originally brought to the United States, primarily through Canada, And that would have been 50 years ago when they imported semen on a number of bulls. Uh, The American Gelby Association was uh, started 50 years ago last month and chartered in Oklahoma. And then our headquarters, our offices were in the Denver area for many, many years. And about two years ago, the office was moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. And currently that's where our office is. And then we will be celebrating our 50th anniversary in conjunction with our annual convention, which is going to be December 8th through the 10th in Oklahoma City this coming winter. When we talk about the breed itself and the registration of there, what we've seen, you talked about the Gelvy, but we've also in about the last 25 years, Balancer has been a part of that as well. And so the registration of your organization includes both Gelvy and Balancer. So uh, give us a little bit more explanation about that. Sure. The Balancer cattle uh, were brought into our registry, uh, like you say, about 25 years ago. They're registered uh, hybrid uh, seed stock. So a balancer is a minimum of 25% Gelby up to a maximum of 75% Gelby with the offsetting percentage being either black Angus or red Angus uh, and registered balancers need to be out of two registered parents as well. And, you know, Gelby were uh, originally very strong maternally offer a tremendous uh, fertility, milking ability, production ability, and great longevity. And the, uh, Breeders and members of the organization realized that there were some areas that could be improved, and that's what led to the creation of the balancers. And I really think that Gelby cattle offer the most complementarity to the British breeds, and that's very important when you're talking about bringing a couple of breeds together in a planned crossbreeding system and trying to make it succeed. And so our balancer cattle, you know, have maternal superiority. They gain very well, and they have excellent carcass merit. Uh, so just add a lot of value to producers and all along the beef production chain. 
Tom, I think one of the words you use there that I think is important when you're talking about crossbreeding programs is a planned crossbreeding program. And I know when you and I were talking before we started uh, doing our interview, you, you talked about that, that you believe strongly in a planned crossbreeding program. And the Gelby breed really complements, as you said just a moment ago, some of the British breeds that are out there. So with that planned breeding program, explain a little bit further about why that planned part of it and, and the concept of really being strategic in what you're doing is important. Yeah. So I think if you have British breed cows, and this happened originally when Gelby were brought into the United States, uh, Gelby semen was used on British breed cows, Angus and Hereford cows, probably primarily at the time. And then if you're a commercial cattle producer, uh, you know, I think they're uh, can be some detriment potentially sometimes to going too far with any one breed or being straight bred. And so uh, in a planned crossbreeding system, you want to manage the genetic influence of the different breeds in your program. And so with our balancers being anywhere from 25 to 75% Yelby uh, versus, you know, Angus and Red Angus, for instance, uh, the balancers allow a commercial producer to maintain approximately, you know, half Yelby, half Angus or Red Angus if they like to, or they can shift that a little bit one way or the other. And, um, you know, with the power of our genetic evaluation and different genetic predictors and everything, they can manage what they're putting into their herd and create consistency and stability and repeatability. Mm -hmm. Genomics is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our cattle industry even down in for the commercial producers as well and i know the galvi association the galvi balancer breed is part of the igs so explain that component to your association international genetic solutions is um, a group of breeds working together in a genetic evaluation Uh, it includes red angus simmental galvi and some canadian counterparts as well as some other u.s breeds of cattle Uh, So that is where our genetic evaluation is run on a weekly basis. We get new and updated EPDs. Uh, It brings in all the new information that is available at the time, and that includes any phenotypic data as far as weights. It includes the pedigrees of the animals, and it also includes any new genetic information that is available from the results of the DNA DNA testing. And so we have uh, updated genomically enhanced EPDs available on a weekly basis. Tom, there's a lot of marketing programs out there for different types of program cattle. What marketing opportunities are available for Galvi Balancer Influenced Cattle? Okay, we have a source and age verification program for Galvi and Balancer Sired Feeder Cattle where we've partnered with IMI Global. That program is called Balancer Edge and it requires that 75% of the bulls used on a commercial operation are registered with the American Gelby Association. They can be either Gelby and or Balancer bulls. And so we started that program program with IMI Global about two years ago uh, to offer source and age verification to our commercial bull buying base. Tom, before we get to the, the one last question, one final thing, and that's something that I noticed you guys talk a lot about, is the Gelby Balancer Edge. So in in a short sentence, I guess, if you had to talk to somebody going up an elevator about two or three stories, <laughs> what would you say is the Gelvy balancer edge to the commercial cattle guy? Well, Gelvy offers maternal superiority. Uh, 
the cows are tremendous females. They have excellent fertility, high productivity, and then great longevity remaining in the herd for a long time. Uh, balancer feeder cattle, they grow well, they grade well, have excellent carcass merit performance in the feedlot and on the rail. And so it's smart, reliable choice for commercial cattlemen. One final question, Tom, and that is if folks are interested in more information about the American Gelvie Association and the Gelvie Balancer breed, where would they go to get that? They can go to our website, which is gelvie.org. All right. Well, Tom, thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you, Justin. It's a privilege to visit with you this morning, and I hope you have a great week. Tom Strom, Commercial Marketing Director for the American Galvey Association, my guest today on this week's edition of Our Breed Spotlight. Well, it's a time now to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, and in light of this week's episode in regards to higher hay prices, he's got a special shout-out for those putting up the hay. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. Big shout out to all you hay crew personnel out there that have been going around and around and around. I'm glad you got some hay to cut. A lot of folks weren't that lucky. And I also want to do a special shout out to those of you that worked so hard to prepare some amazing dinners and and uh, lunches for those crews. They appreciated so much a good home-cooked meal Uh, A lot of it had good, wholesome beef in it. I know that. And uh, for you folks that maybe didn't get some hay, here's to next year. Justin, back to you in the booth. You bet, Captain. And I'll tell you, it's kind of a feast or famine when, when it comes to those out there making hay. I know in parts of the country, they're trying to scrounge around a little bit, making hay any way they can. Really, uh, you're going to see more borrow ditches probably hayed this year than we've seen in the past few years. But for those that's had pretty good conditions and the hay's looking good for you, no doubt uh, you're staying busy out there. So thanks again to all you do. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into our featured topic. Dr. Steve Paisley stopping in with these higher hay prices. What do we do with that? How do we manage that in this drought situation? We're going to talk about it when we return. Plus, the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, joins us back again later in the episode when we talk about what's going on with these bid manipulating going on in agriculture land. He'll join us for that segment. So stay tuned when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Gelvie and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvate.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and I'm joined now by Dr. Steve Paisley, who's an associate professor and a Wyoming State Beef Extension Specialist for the University of Wyoming. And Dr. Paisley, when we talk about looking at the drought situation, one of the fallouts of a drought situation that we see across the country, and this is very widespread drought, is feed. Hay costs go extremely high. And so 
today when we look at, at what we're going to talk about here today, what I want to visit about is what all what are some alternatives that we could be looking at to try to keep our feed costs to somewhat uh, in, a, in a spectrum that we can still try to make some revenue here at the end of the year. So with that in mind, as you look at this and you've been in, you know, you yourself been in the cow business for a lot of years, what's the first thing that you think about when we're dealing in a drought situation? Probably the first thing I think about is uh, certainly we know that high pay prices and therefore uh, cow prices, low cow prices, kind of go hand in hand, right? We we're always been told mm-hmm. by the economists that uh, boy, you can't afford to feed a cow through a drought. And the unfortunate thing about that is, is, is a lot of times um, cow prices drop to the point where you you kind of scratch your head and you kind of wonder what the solution is. I think probably the first thing we look at is how can we make best use of what pasture, what grass, or what forage we have that's available. In my mind, that that's, that's a few things. We look at, first of all, can we preg test early and can we early wean our calves? Can we get those, remove that milking requirement off of that cow and then therefore save some forage? It's almost a twofold savings in that we're, we're removing that calf who's probably grazing some grass on his own and we're reducing the, the nutrient demand on that cow and she's going to reduce her appetite and, and eat less and eat less grass. So can we early wean? Can we preg test early and strategically remove those open cows earlier and also if we do have any forage available or we put up any hay at all we need to think about uh, you know uh, doing a forage evaluation or forage test on that and making sure we know what we've got so we know what we can maybe complement that hay with come up with some alternatives whether it's protein or some energy sources or some other things and we can talk about that in a minute mm-hmm. but that's kind of the first big three things we think about can we can we do some initial sorting? Can we maybe wean early? And can we evaluate where we're at as far as what available forages that we have? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the specific feeding and some alternatives that we can look at there because uh, a lot of times we kind of have a certain pattern. A lot of us have been in a certain pattern of ways, uh, types of feed that we use. But what are some alternatives that we are seeing now that might be new? I mean, we have to look at any form of roughage and, and we can we can supplement or complement those roughages if at all possible. Uh, so things like uh, corn stalks, baled corn stalks, uh, certainly that's not not our our number one choice probably, but it certainly does provide some roughage, some fiber to that animal, and we can complement that uh, in our diet. So we can look at those types of things. We can look at a lot of times we can find some uh, sorghum sedan type hays that are available. Uh, we see a lot of uh, forage oats. Uh, forage wheat uh, or baled, uh, even baled straw, we can we can make those. We can find ways to to make good utilization of that. I, I would caution though, if we are looking at feeding some corn stalks or something like that, my, uh, our experience has been probably only about a third of the diet is about as high as you can go, and still get adequate performance out of your cows. What are some supplements that we could be looking at? Uh, and we don't necessarily have to name specific things, but is there is there some types of supplements out there that we can add to all of this that really helps push this along? Mm-hmm. So certainly most of the time we're going to be deficient in uh, protein, probably energy. Probably the number one feedstuff available to us that really kind of fills that gap is distillers. So if we can come across, if we can get our hands on some distillers, 
um, that really complements these forages, these low-quality forages very well. Um, so that's an option, and sometimes that doesn't work, you know, especially in range situations where maybe you don't have the ability to feed um, distillers, uh, dry distillers, or you don't have you don't have feed bunks, or you don't have a way to deliver that. Um, other things we can use is you can use uh, some of our liquid feeds, our liquid um, liquid supplements. A lot of times you can soak bales with those liquid supplements, make that bale more palatable to the cattle while also providing protein and energy into that bale as well. So I've seen uh, utilization of some real low quality, um, you know, two year old hay, uh, low quality straws. If you set those bales on end and um, soak them with some uh, liquid um, supplement, mm -hmm. let it kind of soak in. Uh, you'll not only improve their appetite for eating that type of thing, but you'll probably enhance what nutrition goes into them that way as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, Dr. Steve Paisley continues with us. We're going to talk about some other options, things like taking the cattle to the feed and dry lotting. We'll be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Dr. Steve Paisley, Beef Extension Specialist from the University of Wyoming, is my guest today. And Dr. Paisley... As we continue our discussion here today, looking at some alternatives or things that we can do differently this year in light of higher hay prices and the drought situation that much of the areas and not all, because I know there's some highlighted areas across the country that are actually seeing very productive years. But for those of us that are in droughted areas, the feed sources, as we look at doing something differently usually have a lot to do with what is relatively close to our geographical area. But one of the other alternatives that are also out there is maybe the option would be to move the livestock towards the feed. Yeah, I think that's definitely an option. And certainly I think dry lotting is becoming more and more of an option all of the time. So working with maybe a backgrounding yard or uh, some yard that might be able, you know, a lot of times uh, certainly a, a a feed yard that can make utilization of lower quality feeds can mix rations, can can grind and, and create a, a TMR or a mixed ration. Uh, we can probably feed cattle economically, uh, maybe even if it's temporarily. Maybe we wean those calves, we get the cows dried off, and then we decide to dry lot those cows maybe until uh, you get closer to calving. And I think, you know, that might be one way to save some feed resources and then you bring them back home. Um, there's some challenges with that, and you need to certainly pick and choose the, what yards you work with. People that are uh, maybe used to working with mature cows, there's some quirkiness to, to feeding mature cows. They need some more bunk space. Uh, there's kind of some pecking order issues and some things with, with feeding cows and dry lot. But I do think that's certainly a viable option mm -hmm. is a way of you know trying to save your own forage at home 
and maybe just buying you some time by by dry lighting those calves. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to herd management. You talked a moment ago about early weaning and try to get the pressure off these cows. Their their rough their intake is going to go down with that. Uh, from a perspective of a rancher, and I know myself, sometimes when I think about that particular option, I wonder. I'm concerned. Then, okay, my calf my calf weights are going to be lower. Um, so, with, with that concern, what do you tell a producer? You know, sometimes that's our you know that's our option. I know um, in dry years, it's difficult to sell those. I mean, we're cow prices are low, um, but you know, it appears that calf prices, at least for now, have um, kind of maintained themselves. So yeah, you're selling fewer total dollars, but, uh, you have to kind of partial budget that out and look at the feed savings, whether you're able to stay in those. So we typically think we can, we can buy some more time in those pastures. So maybe you're able to keep those cows on summer pasture for another month rather than having to feed those cows. And the, the requirement on that cow is lower. So our, our feed requirements are lower. You can kind of partial budget that out and, and you can kind of find that uh, you can, you know, there is, you, you're, you've got some lost revenues as far as a check for those calves, but you've got some pretty good feed savings that you need to kind of partial budget out and, and balance out. Mm-hmm. When we talk about looking at uh, early uh, preg checking, doing some of those kind of things early so that we can identify who these cows that are coming in open and dry and so forth. Um, I think one of the issues that there's there's a little bit of struggle with, while we know that, man, we don't want to have another mouth to feed, boy, these cold cow prices are so low, and it's a quandary that these guys find themselves in. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah, and I, and I don't, I mean, that's like <laughs> It's it is you're you're right. It, a quandary is kind of an understatement, right? There's <laughs> just some challenges. It's like what's the what's the least painful approach to that? But I do think you know certainly trying to remove those cows that you know are going to be marketed anyway. Um, it's a place to start, I guess. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really, from a management standpoint, is is to know what your numbers are in terms of if you keep that cow, what that's going to cost you versus early weaning, the extra feed or you're going to lose on in the pasture or the or the hay you're going to have to come up with versus just getting rid of those calves on an early basis. Yep, and I think that's exactly right. And boy, that's just pays to have some of those numbers at hand to be able to to make some of those rapid decisions, right? To have the ability to to think through some of those decisions, you can kind of estimate what your feed costs are going to be and try and try and make those comparisons. And you know, I guess the other thing I'm thinking about if we are looking at looking at alternative feeds and trying to find those feed sources that are available is it becomes more and more important to test those forages whether it's purchased feed or what feed you have on hand. We know that dry years have a pretty dramatic effect on feed quality. So what you thought was always a 11% crude protein prairie hay isn't necessarily in a drought situation. Mm-hmm. And if you purchase feed, you know, we may need to test for nitrates. Some of those stressors on those plants may cause uh, some nitrates. And even from an economic standpoint, if you know what you've got, you can balance a ration around it and you can achieve some feed savings if you're able to balance the ration and make best utilization out of those forages. Dr. Steve Paisley from the University of Wyoming is my guest today on our program and we're going to take a break here and when we come back in our next segment we're going to continue down 
this avenue of of hay and the fact that with these higher prices, how do we adapt to that? How What can we do on our own operations? But specifically down the road of there's going to be a lot of hay bought and sold this year. So as a rancher and you're looking at buying hay, what are some things you can be aware of to help you in your negotiating process or figuring out what is the right type of hay to buy? We're going to be back with more on the Working Ranch Radio Show right here on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. Update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and my guest today is Dr. Steve Paisley, who's a beef extension specialist for the University of Wyoming. And our topic, if you're just joining us now, has been about how do we adapt? How do we make some changes to our operations, some feed alternatives that we could be looking at in light of the drought situation this year and very high hay prices? And Dr. Paisley, I know we're going to see a lot of hay moving down across the countryside this year. And there's some really good outlets out there that do a great job of providing information about the hay that you're buying if you buy it off their auction markets. In addition, as you're looking at purchasing hay off the field uh, and negotiating those prices, what are some things that we should be aware of? What are some things we should be looking at? You know, if, if at all possible, you know, get a good description of the hay, what exactly it is. Um, certainly, um, if it's year-old, two-year-old hay, get an idea of its moldiness or, or the quality of that hay. Hopefully, whether it's a you know hay broker or a trucker, maybe they can describe it to you. It's hard to make that decision, but you know, if you can price those on a RFC value or on a, if you can get an estimate of the TDN value of that hay or the protein value of that hay, that can kind of let you um, make some of those judgment calls about what hay you're going to buy and w- what it's worth. I know last year was a pretty dry year for us around Wheatland, and I ended up buying some hay out of uh, Nebraska, and we were looking at several different things. And what we ended up doing was comparing them all based on a, a value of TDN or pounds of TDN per ton, pounds of protein per ton, and that kind of helped us make the idea of whether we wanted to buy that millet hay or that oat hay or that sorghum sedan hay, when we kind of price it out on a nutrient standpoint, it kind of gives you a little clearer picture on what you can afford or what you should choose. As you're working on balancing this ration, and there's nutritionists, of course, you can work with, especially if you're going to have to uh, add a supplement to this. Most of the companies that sell supplements have nutritionists that work for them as well. But from a just a, your own standpoint, uh, what are we looking at? Uh, what are we targeting for protein on a cow? And we'll get into a calf later, but on a cow in terms of trimester and, and mm-hmm. inner term. You know, certainly that's maybe the other thing to kind of consider is, you know, um, we know that cow's protein requirements change, obviously, during the production cycle, and you want to maybe utilize what resources you have accordingly, and that helps you manage your hay. For So, for example, we know that that cow's 
protein and energy requirements increased by 30% during the last trimester. And we know once she calves and starts producing milk, those protein and energy requirements go up by another 30%. So we know that that period of time, that middle trimester, which is typically October, maybe when we wean those calves, um, that's their lowest requirements. So one, we can maybe utilize those lower quality forages then when that cow's requirements are lowest. That's also an opportunity to maintain condition on that cow because we know if we have to buy or we have to purchase forage and we have to feed enough forage to make a cow gain weight, especially during calving, that's that's pretty, uh, pretty cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So if we can maintain condition on a cow when it's cheapest to do that and go into calving in a better condition, it may take us a little bit of money to get there, but ultimately we'll be ahead because we've got a cow that we can achieve uh, those, we can maintain her weight a little bit easier, especially if we're feeding uh, purchased feed during that period of time, uh, mm-hmm. we can we can accomplish that. So certainly managing that cow, thinking about her requirements. And so if you think a cow during, um, so the middle trimester, her lowest requirements, her protein requirements around 1.2 pounds of protein per day. Uh, we go up about to three pounds of protein per day after she calves and is producing milk. So we more than double her protein requirement when we get about that 30 to 60 days after calving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And PDN or energy requirements would be very similar to that in that we can get by with a, uh, a 45% TDN type of a forage or hay during mid gest uh, during mid gestation, but that PDN of that hay needs to be up around sixty percent to maintain weight on a cow that's producing milk during early lactation. For those, there'll probably be a few folks that are going to keep some calves over, maybe some replacements over. Anything different on these on these calves that they're going to keep over and maybe try to winter? No, and I think that's maybe an opportunity if if you do need to find some savings. Is maybe this is the year you shop around and maybe. Uh, send those heifers to a development yard or something like that. I mean, that may be one way to save some forage is to to ship those heifers out. Um, mm-hmm. That's an option. Certainly, we see some of the more recent data would suggest that uh, if we have the ability to get some rapid weight gain on those heifers uh, prior to breeding, we can maintain those heifers at a little bit lower weight gain, you know, in that half pound to three quarters of a pound up until, you know, we get into that... Uh, 90 to 100 days prior to breeding those heifers. So, you know, we can, there's a little bit of feed savings we can do in, in fall and maybe early winter with those heifers, but that's also kind of a challenge. Uh, maybe it's a year to look at maybe dry lotting those heifers with someone or, or mm-hmm. shipping them somewhere and, and getting them back as bred heifers, yeah. something like that. Uh, I think it's also a time to analyze maybe the time of year you're calving and how that correlates to your your feed sources. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, every operation is somewhat different based on what feed resources you have available to you. Um, I've Personally, I've played around with it. I've, I've, I used to have a set of fall calving cows <clears throat> that I thought provided me kind of some unique opportunities to use meadow regrowth and some things like that. So I think every operation is, is unique. I think the set of resources for every operation is unique. And so I don't think, you know, it's hard to make a hard and fast recommendation on March calving or mm-hmm. April calving or those types of things. But I do think there's optimum times at each, ran- each ranch. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things that's important for everybody to do is is let the numbers speak for themselves. That's exactly right. You know, part of that equation is marketing 
Uh, certainly, as you know, if you change your calving date, you're changing your weaning weights to some extent too. And uh, so it's kind of a whole operation analysis to make some of those decisions. I think it's not, you know, don't don't base that decision based on your feed costs. Uh, look at your income revenue, your income revenue, and and uh, what your total expenses are before you make those decisions. Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, Dr. Paisley, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. More than happy to, and appreciate it, Justin. We appreciate listening to your show, too. Well, thanks for listening, too. Dr. Steve Paisley, Beef Extension Specialist from the University of Wyoming and a longtime friend of mine, and and uh, I always appreciate his insight because uh, not only is he come at it from the professor of the university side and have that research uh, background behind him and the years of experience that he's been at the University of Wyoming, but he's also a rancher, cow-calf man himself. So I know the advice that we're getting is not just kind of theory that, that doesn't have any sound backing to it. So I appreciate Dr. Paisley's advice in joining us here on our program today. Well, stay with us when we come back in our next segment. The Captain Tim O'Byrne will be joining us as we look at an interesting issue out there, and that is in regards to bid manipulating on agriculture land. And in our final segment, meteorologist Don Day joins us with a look at our long-term weather forecast. We'll be back when the Working Ranch Radio Show returns on Roll Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. Payday starts with superior Beefmaster cows. Yes, the Beefmaster female has stayed true to her original purpose, to help ranchers in tough environments improve performance, survivability, and longevity. So if you're giving up ground in traits that matter, consider Beefmasters. The breed will jumpstart your cattle and give your next calf crop a performance boost. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do for your herd at Beefmasters.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and joining us for this segment is the Captain Tim O'Byrne. And Captain, thanks for joining us for this because you're coming to us with some information that you were made aware of. Uh, you were able to sit down and visit with a gentleman about about this. So let's kind of set it up first and, and get folks aware of what we're going to be talking about. You bet, Justin. So we got an email here from... Uh some folks. Uh, this is an article written by Philip Giordano and Sigrid Jernad, and uh, it's all about the Department of Justice recently indicted real estate professionals in Kentucky for conspiring to rig bids at auctions of farmland and timber rights. All right, this is something, you know, it's we haven't heard much about mm-hmm. this, I suppose. Uh, mm-hmm. A significant departure from the department's traditional focus on housing markets, okay? So uh, they were focusing on housing markets before, in real estate now they're talking about farmland and timber rights the article discusses the doj's principal tool for detecting bid rigging in the real estate industry and get this how ranch land could be impacted by this recent indictment so give a listen you guys it's uh it's kind of something new and it's a little bit complex but it's a good interview have a listen all right so let's take a listen to the conversation the captain had with attorney bill klasky a partner in the washington dc office of hughes hubbard and andrew bill thanks for coming on the show today this is a a, just kind of a sleeper topic that a lot of our uh listeners and readers probably never heard of before i know i certainly haven't i'm glad you, you shed some light on it Tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. Um, Thanks a lot, Tim. I'm glad to participate here. Um, This is something that the um, 
antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice has been looking at ever since the um, 2008 financial crisis and the wave of residential mortgage foreclosure auctions uh, following that. Over the you know, 12, 13 years since then, uh, the Department of Justice has uh, charged uh, well over 100 people uh, for rigging mortgage foreclosure auctions nationwide. Uh, but what's new is that just um, this year, they've indicted a, a couple of uh, individuals for conspiring with uh, unnamed farmers uh, in purchasing um, farmland uh, in a foreclosure auction. Before then, uh, most of these cases, if not all of them, had uh, focused on residential and not uh, farmland. So it, this is a, a new development that I think would be of interest to your readers and extends not just to farmland, but to ranch land as well. And so... I'm just wondering, through the auction, the foreclosure auction process, isn't there a reserve bid or something like that that kind of would be a stop loss to make sure that this, you know, that there's not some nefarious undercutting that goes on here? Or, or how does that work? Um, yes, there is, there is often, if not always, a reserve bid. But this can still depress the price that a farmer or rancher receives for or or a bank foreclosing on farmland or ranch land receives for the property in one of two ways. Number one, um, you obviously hope to get a price higher than the reserve price, and um, this can depress the price down to the reserve or even below um, in terms of the bids you receive. And if it depresses the the bids below the reserve price, um, the bank, for example, uh, may decide to take the um, property off uh, the auction, not sell it, uh, and then re-auction it at an, uh, another time uh, at a lower reserve uh, bid price. Uh, and so I, this can still depress the price, notwithstanding the reserve bid. Wow. So um, the article that we're talking about here at the tail end, it says any farmer or rancher that suspects such criminal conduct should consider hiring a lawyer to report it to the Justice Department, antitrust division, or to a U.S. attorney in their state. Banks that hold mortgages on farmland and ranch land should likewise be on the lookout for bid rigging when auctioning off land on which they have foreclosed. How do I do I just pick up the phone and call my just my basic, you know, lawyer that's handling my, you know, my other affairs or is it something, you know, do I have to go to another level here? Well, initially the easy way to proceed is to call the lawyer that you have an, an ongoing relationship with and if um he or she or or their law firm uh, doesn't have somebody who um can handle it, they can give you a, a referral the name of an, of another firm or another lawyer who who could. Um but in most cases, even a you know a general practitioner who has any um, litigation or, or business law experience um, could just call um, the Justice Department, uh, uh, antitrust division. They have a uh, Chicago field office, um, and their the name and telephone number to contact is available on the uh, U.S. DOJ website. Um, or you could, um, or they could call the uh, U.S. attorney in whatever state or section of the state uh, they're located in, or a third possibility would be to call uh, the FBI's field office in uh, in your state, so, for example, in Colorado or Wyoming. 
Well, Bill, thank you so much for sharing this um, this great information. I, like I said before, we're, we certainly weren't aware of it, and, and we really appreciate you reaching out. Uh, again, uh, we thought this was something that you and your readers um, should know about because obviously um, uh, they don't want to be taken advantage of in this way, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. You bet. Thanks again. Well, thanks, Captain, for sharing with us that interview. And like they said there, if you suspect something like this is going on, get a hold of your attorney if you have one, or also the state attorney as well, district attorneys that are out there that can uh, look out on behalf of the public. And uh, things like this, they always come at the expense of somebody. And usually, in light of what we're talking about here with this manipulating happening with agriculture land, it's coming at the cost to your neighbors. And that's something we don't want to see let alone having to see them sell their land but then have to deal with this on the side as well so uh, thanks captain for sharing with us that interview on uh, just something to be aware of when we see this land being sold at auction well stay with us when we come back we're going to take a look at our long-term weather forecast meteorologist don day joins us stay with us you're listening to the working ranch radio show on rural radio channel 147 sirius sexm For commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galvay and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galvay and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Gelvy and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvate.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, as we're joined now by meteorologist Don Day. Don, thanks for joining us here again today. And we have been talking about through this summer the hopes that we were going to see a little bit better monsoonal activity. And it's starting to develop. There's still some things out there uh, that you guys are watching. But if we look out about a week and a half to 10, 14 days out, what are you anticipating to see across the country? Well, first of all, I think uh, what we're likely going to see is probably another round of heat. That's something that uh, folks need to be ready for especially in the far west, part of the northern Rockies and northern Plains states. However, after that, we're going to see high pressure, which has been mostly centered over the Great Basin and the far western states for most of the summer, spend a little bit of time in the central United States. And what this will do is spread some heat into the Corn Belt, high humidity air, and that high humidity air, which is uh, going to be building over Mexico and Central America in the coming days, is going to have the ability to get transported northward and deeper monsoonal moisture will be able to get pretty far north into some of the real drought-plagued areas of Nevada, and Utah, and Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, parts of Wyoming, maybe parts of Montana and Idaho as well, uh, especially some of those areas who are suffering through some wildfires right now. Uh, this is something right as we get to the end of July and into early August, we see developing. So for folks in the in the Southwest that has been so, so dry for really longer than a year, are they going to see some of this activity, start to see some rain in their area? Yes, without a doubt. In fact, uh, we, we saw a pretty good little plume of early monsoon moisture in late June. 
Um, and that sort of is setting the stage for this next round coming in later. Um, I'm quite optimistic that uh, those desert Southwest states uh, in the next three weeks will see more rain than they saw all of last summer in many areas. Now, with a monsoonal moisture pattern, the rain never falls evenly. A lot of times it falls too much, too quickly, and flash flooding is always a concern. Um, but that is the case in that part of the United States during the summer season. It kind of goes with the territory. Uh, but some good rains, the best rains they've had in months, will likely go into those western states as long as that, that big high starts to move into the middle part of the United States. And historically, Justin, um, when we get into the better North American monsoon, that's what usually happens. That high goes more towards the western and southwestern Corn Belt. Those are the dog days of summer in the Midwest where they get that heat and they get that humidity. But they'll also, parts of the Corn Belt will get some rain as well. And some of those northern and northwest Corn Belt areas that need more rain will get some. Real quickly, back to the northwest part of the country, because they have seen severe hot and dry weather that's a little bit out of the normal. Is that monsoon moisture and cooler weather going to reach into the Pacific Northwest? I'm afraid to say that uh, the answer is no. Um, Only the extreme eastern counties of Oregon and uh, maybe southeast Washington can get into this. It's very difficult to transmit moisture to the northwest. But I do see a pattern that's not as hot. So I'm not very optimistic that a lot of precipitation is coming to those Pacific Northwest states. But the middle to the end of the summer, I think the bigger heat will be more towards the northern plains. Um, But the Pacific Northwest, I think, is an area that by the end of the summer uh, is going to look a lot like, unfortunately, what the desert southwest is looking like uh, as we started spring, which is that'll be the driest part of the nation heading into fall, winter 2021. Mm-hmm. And one final area to look at would be the the southeast part of the country. They've seen a lot of moisture this year. And in the Gulf Coast states, what do we see for them in the next 10 to 14 days? Same old, same old. The, 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 the trends that have developed this summer early here so far look to be holding. So the southwest, let's say the south, southern plains, Texas, the Gulf Coast, into the southeastern United States, the lower Mississippi Valley area, and then all the way as far north as Oklahoma and Kansas, they've had a cooler than average summer. They're likely going to see that continue, and they're likely going to continue to see good chances of rain. So it's, it's one of these situations where we really have opposites happening across the lower 48s. We've got unseasonably cool and wet in some areas of the United States and unseasonably warm and dry, not very far away. Now, I do think that's going to get evened out a little bit in the coming weeks, but by the end of the summer, those south central and southeastern United States relative to averages will be the coolest part of the country by the end of the summer. All right. Well, Don, thanks for joining us on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you, sir. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather forecast. By the way, if you like uh, Don's weather forecasting, one way that you can get that on a daily basis, if you go to his website at dayweather.com, he does a video podcast every morning, Monday through Friday. Take a look there, and I think you'll find his weather forecast on his YouTube channel quite interesting and useful, as I do myself. 
Well, before we get going here too far today and wrap up our show, I'd like to thank our guests for being here with us. Dr. Steve Paisley, Beef Extension Specialist for the University of Wyoming, uh, joining us as we talked about kind of the condition that we see parts of the country in. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but I know even if you are not in a drought situation and having to deal with high hay prices that we talked about today and how we can adapt our operations accordingly, at some point, more than likely you will. So something you can kind of tuck away in your mind and your brain for useful information you might have to use down the road. Hopefully you don't have to, but as we all know, drought across the country is going to hit people at different times and different years. There's no question about that. So thank you to Dr. Steve Paisley for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show today. Also, a thank you to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine with his two cents as well as his special interview today on just being aware of that issue out there of some of the manipulating that could be happen, happening when some of this land goes to auction. So just be aware of that situation out there. And of course, our final guest today, meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. A thank you to our sponsors as well, the American Simmental Association, Sim Genetics, Profit Through Science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Performance Beef, easy to use, cattle management software. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Beef Master, nothing beats a beef master. Find out more at beefmaster.org. And the Working Ranch Expo going on December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas. To find out more, go to workingranchexpo.com. And our final sponsor of the day, which highlighted our breed spotlight for this episode, Gelvy and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvy.org. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me you got an idea for a topic you'd like us to look at here on the working ranch radio show you can give me a call here at the studio you can text me as well my phone number is 307-363-COWS or you can also shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com well the working ranch radio show is a production of working ranch magazine join us each saturday right here at 12 noon eastern on rural radio channel 147 sirius xm or on your favorite podcast provider. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.